right, well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Faith Church. Glad you're here. If uh, you're kind of new around here, my name is Matthew, one of the pastors here, and it's a joy to open up some scripture with you. Go with me to Matthew chapter 18. The gospel according to Matthew is where we'll be. We've been in this collection, the King Jesus gospel, exploring the things that Jesus did and taught and represented and showed us about his gospel, about the good news of who he is and the completion of Israel's story and how he came to redeem us and start a new story to renew all things. And uh, Matthew 18 is where we're at. If you want to follow along digitally, you can scan the QR code that's on your screen. You can follow along, take some notes, read the scriptures, and uh, be right in sync with us today. Two things. Number one, this Wednesday, first Wednesday prayer. Seven o'clock, be here. How many of you uh, just kind of wave your hand at me, participated with us as a family in fasting last Wednesday? Come on, there you go. Love it, love it, love it. This Wednesday, we're doing the same thing. And guess what? The following Wednesday, we're going to do the same thing. We are developing this habit and this pattern, this practice of fasting and just giving God a day in our week uh, to really engage with him. And so I encourage you to join in with us. And if you want to find out more about that, you can go to our central hub. And uh, there's some information there about that practice of fasting. Uh, The other thing I wanted to mention is over the next, I'm going to say four or five weeks, we're going to get into some really important and significant conversations that Jesus leads us into as we read this gospel. And I would encourage you to come in each week, number one, attend, be here, come ready to take some notes, and come with a heart ready to listen and receive what Jesus is saying to us. Um, There are going to be some challenging things that we're going to explore and talk about. But there's going to be some really helpful and redemptive things that I believe the Lord is going to speak to us. So uh, just letting you know, it's coming up. It's going to be good. Be here. And uh, we're going to kind of get some of that started today. Matthew 18, we're going to start in verse 1. We're going to do about 10 verses together. Then we'll go from there. It says this, about that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Then Jesus called a little child to him, and he put the child among them, and then he said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, somebody say little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child, somebody say little child, is is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And anyone who welcomes a little child, somebody say little child. Are you picking up on what we're doing yet? All right, anyone who becomes and welcomes a little child like this on my behalf is welcoming me. But if you cause one of these little ones who trusts in me to fall into sin, It would be better for you to have a large millstone tied around your neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. What sorrow awaits the world because it tempts people into sin. Temptations are inevitable. 
Oh, but what sorrow awaits the person who does the tempting. So if your hand or foot causes you to sin, just cut it off and throw it away. It's better to enter eternal life with one hand or one foot than be thrown into eternal fire with both of your hands and feet. And if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better to enter eternal life with only one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. Verse 10, beware that you don't look down on any of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven, their angels are always in the presence of my heavenly Father. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, help us to love little kids and not get perturbed by their young youthfulness. In Jesus' name, amen. I was going to pray that the spirit of curmudgeonness would get cast out of us, but I wasn't really theologically aware of that spirit, so I just decided to pray it differently today. For over 13 years, Amber and I, my wife, we, we, we spent in what's considered next-gen ministry. Next-gen ministry is those birth, age birthed all the way through college age, and primarily focusing in on kids and teenagers, middle school and high school most specifically. And one thing that is absolutely true uh, when you work around kids and you work around youth for, for so many years, uh, there are some things that they just kind of naturally ex ex expect and accept. One such truth that they just accept is they're not the most powerful and the most authority in the room. Oh, they like to act sometimes like they're running the show. And sometimes parents who don't know how to parent let them run the show. Did I say that out loud? That was a thought. I, some thoughts I should just keep, like, tucked in. In They should have just stayed in. But they don't run the show, and they, they're well aware that any room that a child would walk into, there's likely someone with more authority and more power, someone who is in charge, and they're probably not, not it. You know, I... I think it's really interesting, this question that the disciples came and asked Jesus, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Like, who's the greatest? Who's, who's the one who's going to have the most power? Who's the one who's got the most authority? Who's, who's going to be the one who's going to um, run the most armed forces in your army, God? Who's, who's going to be the one that, like, links arms and holds on and, and really is strong and mighty? Who's, who's the one that you're going to give the most responsibility to, God? Who's the one who's going to kind of call the shots? Like, like who, who's the one who's going to kind of get their way and, and be in a prominent place? I think it's an interesting question. It's an interesting question that some of us like and some of us don't like. Some of us don't like it because we have a problem with authority. We don't like power or, or we, we don't like authority structures. And so many of us have spent all of our lives resisting, rejecting, and running from places which, which, which would be give us um, where we are under someone else's authority that we've been trying to live autonomously our whole life. Friends, I, I'm going to say this at the top. I'm not so sure that you can be autonomous and in the family of God at the same time. I think understanding lines of structure and authority are really, really helpful. In fact, God and Scripture are not opposed to authority structures. They're not opposed to it. In fact, 
it's a, it's a common question. Like, who, who's in charge around here? Who do I report to? When you get a new job, you want to know. Like, who's my boss and who's their boss? And what's their responsibility? What's my responsibility? There, there are some really logical common questions with, with trying to understand, like, who's in charge around here? Who is the, the greatest? Who's, what's the pecking order in this business in which I am now a- engaging in? Friends, it, it is true. Like, where, where authority lines and where structure lines are a bit blurry... There is confusion among the people. Where the authority lines are corrupt, there's a lot of angst among the people. And where authority lines are clear and correct, there's actually a great deal of comfort available to people. If you have a problem with authority, and structures of authority, hear me very clearly, you have a problem with God. We live in a day in a time where everyone wants to self-govern and everyone wants to do their own and call their own shots and live in their own way and be the most important in any one room. And friends, that's just not what the kingdom of God looks like, nor is it all about that. And when they came to Jesus and asking this question, Who, who's the greatest in the kingdom? It's a, it's a good question to ask. It's a logical question to ask. Why? Number one, it's a logical question because they knew he was the Messiah. He was the Messiah. Isaiah chapter 9 says, it it foretold of the Messiah coming, and it says when the the Messiah comes, the government will rest on his shoulders. It was a logical question. Jesus, you're the Messiah, so what kind of structure, who's going to be in charge, how are we going to do this thing, how are we going to take over the world, Jesus? Sure, there probably was a little bit of like, hey, Jesus, can I be the greatest in the kingdom? We know that some of the disciples were asking for some pretty audacious things by like, hey, uh, Jesus, when you come in your power and your glory, can I sit on your right and my brother sit on your left? And Jesus is like, you don't know what you're asking. No, you can't. Right? Like that's, can I do this? Can I, can I? And, and, And so Jesus was not really upset, I don't even think, by the question. But you know what I love that Jesus did? He takes this question, who's the greatest in the kingdom? And he answers it by telling them about what the kingdom of God looks like instead. And he says, oh, you want to know what's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Here, let me tell you, tell, tell you what the kingdom of heaven looks like. It looks more like a family than a dictatorship. It looks more like a family than Caesar's reign. It looks more like a family where, where the, the power dynamics have been upended and it's subversive in its nature and the kingdom of God is a paradox within the kingdoms of our world. It's an upside down different way of seeing things and instead of fully answering the question explicitly, Jesus begins to give them a living picture of what it looks like to be in the kingdom of God. And he starts talking about this identity and this understanding of family. In fact, all of chapter 18, this week and next week, we're going to look at these kingdom truths, the the King Jesus gospel, some truths about the King Jesus gospel, but we're going to look at it through the lens of family. Somebody turn to, to your neighbor and say, hey, we are family. 
And if you can do it without singing, you are blessed. We are See? Just... Oh, my brother, sisters, me. Right? Like, <clears throat> we are family. The family of God is the, the answer. Jesus says, oh, you want to understand what greatness in the kingdom looks like? It looks like family. It looks, looks a little bit like family. Here's the first thing I want you to see today as it relates to the King Jesus gospel through this lens of family that Jesus was starting to paint a picture for us is this, that families are a picture of God's kingdom. Families are a picture of God's kingdom. What, what did he say in ver, verse 3? He says, oh, you want to know what the kingdom of God looks like? It's, it looks like this little child. And unless you become like a little child, you're not even getting in the kingdom of heaven. So if you want to know how to be in the kingdom of heaven, it looks like becoming like a little child. He says, unless you turn and become like a little child. That was the language he used. Unless you turn and become, unless you transform, unless you change, unless there's a, a metamorphosis of your approach and your spirit and your heart and your posture, you're not getting into the kingdom of heaven. Unless you change and become like a little child, you won't see the kingdom of God. John John chapter 3, verse 5 and 7, Jesus articulates this as well. He says this, he says, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water, first birth, and born of the Spirit, 2.0 birth. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. This is what Jesus is talking about. When you come into the kingdom, you come in with some humility and starting over again as a little child, a young one, an infant in the faith, a, a child in the faith. You might be 48 years old when you come into the kingdom, but you're still coming in as a little child. And he says, unless you become born again, unless you become a little child, you're not getting into the kingdom of God. Look at how... John, in the very first chapter of his gospel, kind of narrates and sets the backdrop of this whole entire conversation to begin with. Look at it in John 1, verse 12 and 13. He says this. He says, but to all. How many is all? Okay, very good. I just wanted to make sure your one cup of coffee this morning was helping you here. But to all who believed in him and accepted him. John is being very clear. It's not just having an intellectual agreement about who Jesus is. It's about accepting his kingship, his lordship, and giving him your allegiance in return. He's saying that those who believe in him and accept him, he gave the right to become what? Children of God. You've heard me say it before that not every human being walking on the face of the earth I don't believe is, the ch is a child of God. According to John 1, 12 and 13, only those who believe in him and accept him, then he gave the right to be called children of God. Does everyone bear the image of God? Yeah. 
But most often, the image of God in us is marred and dirtied and buried under heaps of sin and death that must be removed, buried, and resurrected in a new life in Jesus Christ. And to those who have given their lives, who have pledged their allegiance, who who accept in Jesus as this Messiah and King, to them he gave right to become children of God. But I love this language. Why? Because he's talking about families. Families are the picture of the kingdom of God. And he says you have to start and go back to and remember what it's like to be a child. You have to go back and enter the kingdom of God and begin again like a little child. I love kids. I really do. Kids are playful and they are carefree. And many adults are not. And when you are playful and you are carefree, then you're beginning to understand what the kingdom of God is actually trying to do in your life. I love children because they are trusting and they are dependent. Children can't do for themselves. Many adults think they can do for themselves, and that's why you can't get into the heaven. You can't get into the kingdom of God trying to do for yourselves. You only can get into the kingdom of God when you become dependent on Christ to do what you cannot do. You must become like a little child. I love children because they are accepting and they are loyal. How quick they are to accept new friends into their circle. And oh, how hard it is for adults to meet new friends. I'm not ready for connect group. I'm not really ready to open my life and get to know someone. I've kind of built my own carefully curated life, and I'm happy with my schedule, my routines, and my life. I don't really need to know anybody. I don't want to get to know anybody, but unless you want to experience the fullness of the kingdom of God, you must become like a little child, and little children are accepting, and they are loyal. Children aren't about the cancel culture. Children are all about connecting and being playful and carefree and trusting and dependent. Children are imaginative and inquisitive, aren't they? Here here at Faith Church, part of our motto for our Faith Kids ministry is that we want to inspire imagination that activates faith. I believe that your imagination is the incubator for real faith. If you want to see God, know God, experience God, your imagination must be incubated. Let me say it another way in a more adult term. You must renew your mind because your mindset matters. And this imagination of a little child is playful and imaginative and, oh, this God that we serve and he created these things and I wonder what it works. I wonder how it looks like. And they ask questions and they're inquisitive. And what about this? And why does this work, dad? And how does this work? And why do we do it that way, dad? Why, why, come on, anybody got some children that are rather inquisitive in your world? That is natural. And unless you become like a little child, you're not going to see the kingdom of God. If you think you've got it all figured out, sorted out, and you know the answers and you're unwilling to dig back down go back to being a little child to explore to be inquisitive to imagine God in fresh ways you're going to miss the kingdom of heaven he says children had no status and they often need correction (laughs) children need correction And sometimes adults who want to see the kingdom of God need some correction too. This is why he gives us a family. This is why he talks about it in these terms. Ephesians chapter 2, 19, and then verse 22, it says it like this. So now you Gentiles, that's just anyone who's not a Jew, 
are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all God's holy people. You are members of God's, what? Family. The family unit is a picture of what it looks like to be in the kingdom of God. The family structure with mothers and fathers and sons and daughters is what it looks like to be in the family of God. This is why the Apostle Paul would refer to Timothy as a son in the faith. As a father in the faith. There's this family conversation and awareness. And God is trying to use this picture of family to understand it. Help us grab a hold of the picture of the kingdom of God. And some of you, I'm not going to say this to the end, but I'm, I'm going to say it right now. Every family has some level of dysfunction. And some families have been really, really damaging to your soul. And you're having a hard time grasping this truth and this reality. And, and friends, this is why the family of God matters so much to those who have felt abandoned, who have felt abused, and who have felt like they need an adoption. This is what we all get to do as the people of God, the family of God, to look at those who have been isolated and lonely. And, and Psalms tells us that God loves to take the lonely and set them in a family. And so for those of people around you in your life that maybe have experienced broken family and they've experienced families that weren't healthy, structures that were not good whatsoever, and they need a renewed image of what it means to belong to a family, this is what we, the people of God, sons and daughters, mothers and fathers, get to go and link arms and be. We get to re-image Jesus. We get to re-image the family unit to those who have a broken and fractured and distorted view of what family looks like. This is our call. This is who we are as the people of God. And this is what it looks like to be in the family of God. Billy Graham said it like this. He said, salvation is free, but discipleship costs everything that we have. Friends, the family unit, the family of God is a multi-generational discipleship environment this is what it means to belong to the family of God the family unit your family unit of your biological and adopted kids listen is designed by God to be a multi-generational disciple making environment I almost use the word experiment because sometimes it feels a little bit more like an experiment than a well-figured-out environment, doesn't it? Because we're all just figuring this out as we go. The family of God is this generational, this, this discipleship environment. Let me say it this way. Here's the second big truth today. Not only are families the picture of the kingdom of God, but number two, families steward children. We steward the children that God has given to us. Everything that we steward, friends, we are accountable to and accountable for. If God has placed it in your hand, in your life, it is not yours to do with what you want. It is yours to steward in a way that gives honor and glory to God because you are accountable for everything he's placed in your hands. I am accountable for everything God has placed in my hands. 
which means that not only am I responsible for my biological children when I stand before God, <laughs> I'm also responsible for the family of God that he's called me to lead. So I'm kind of responsible for all of you. So would you, some of you, just get your junk together? No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. kidding. (laughs) I'm really accountable for what I teach. Isn't that what he said? He says it's better for some of you who teach little children. Now, is he talking literally or is he talking the picture? Both. That's the beauty of Jesus. That's the genius of Jesus. He says, those of you who have little children and you're raising them and you're stewarding them, you be really, really careful what you teach them. It matters. Those of you that are in the faith and you're trying to lead young children in the faith to grow in their maturity of their faith, be really careful because if you teach them the wrong thing, if you tempt them to do the wrong thing, if you lead them into sin, it's better that you have a millstone tied around your neck and you're thrown into the sea. What's Jesus saying? Families steward little children which means you're accountable for it, and I'm accountable for it. The beauty of it, though, is if God has placed a responsibility in your hand, it is only meant to be a response to the ability that he has already placed within you. So it's not your skills and your ability that is going there to steward the things. When you lean into God and you lean in and you grow in your faith and you're no longer a little child in your faith, then the things and the skills and the tools that God has placed in your hands, you can use as a a tool, as an environment, as something to help those that he's also given to you. Your responsibilities are only a response to God's ability that he's given to you from the very beginning. So we lean into him, but children and families are, are the stewardship. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said it like this, salvation without discipleship is cheap grace. It's cheap grace. What, what is discipleship? Well, we've kind of defined it in three things this year here at, at Faith Church this year. We really are, are leaning into this discipleship thing. And we've said discipleship is this, it's to know God through his word to practice the way of Jesus, and to lead others to do the same. That's discipleship. So whatever it is that you do know about God, and whatever it is that you do practice as the way of Jesus, you and I are able and responsible to teach others to do what we do know and what we do do. But I don't know everything. Neither do I. That's why it's an experiment, remember? We're called to disciple young faithful believers to grow in their faith. Let me say it another way. You're responsible to disciple the children in your home. And we're called to disciple the children in our church home. It's both And look at what Psalm 78 says. We will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power and about his mighty wonders. For he issued his laws to Jacob and he gave his instruction to Israel. He commanded our ancestors to teach them to our children so the next generation might know them. Even the children not yet born, because it's a multi-generational 
The kingdom of God is a multi-generational kingdom. There's overlap in the family of God. And he says the children that aren't even born yet, and they in turn will teach their own children. So each generation should set, should set, whew, that was close. Each generation, I'm still being sanctified more and more every day. Each generation should set its hopes anew on God. Not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his commands. Let me say it another way. The family of God, the church, faith church, is a place where fathers and mothers raise sons and daughters to become mothers and fathers who raise sons and daughters to become mothers and fathers to become who, who make sons and daughters to follow in the ways and obey the commands of God to not forget the glorious deeds that God has done throughout our lives to not forget the commands that he's given us to not remove the ancient boundary markers of the things of old rather anchoring in linking in to know God through his word to practice the way of Jesus and to lead our families to do the same Families are the picture of God's kingdom. Families steward children. This is what we do. Friends, more is often caught than taught, though, in a family environment, isn't it? It's not so much the things that you teach your kids to do. It's the things that you do that they mimic. Uh, just yesterday, my wife took our daughter to uh, a birthday party of a, a gal in our church, and several families of our church were there at the thing, and my, my, my wife was telling me later that um, my daughter was being rather animated and making faces uh, and just responding and being very social and interactive, and they just looked, on, on at least five different people all looked at my wife and were like, that's so Matthew. Now, I have not sat down and had a drama class with my kids. I have not instructed them in how to be outgoing and gregarious. Some things are more caught and mimicked than taught and instructed. <laughs> Which means that your kids' level of allegiance to Jesus will be caught more than you will teach it. That whatever level of commitment you have to the kingdom of God now, they will take it a step or two lower, and that will become their reality. The kingdom of God is mothers and fathers raising sons and daughters to be mothers and fathers. We raise them in the ways of the Lord. We raise them to know God and love him. We raise our kids to serve and to give and to be gracious and to be forgiving. We train our children. We raise our children. How do we do that? By modeling it. Oh, how I hate that. Because I would much rather give a lecture than to be watched 24-7 and not miss a beat. but more is caught than it's taught in the family of God. George Barna says this. This is the typical parent spends less than one hour per week in meaningful interaction with each of his or her children. Less than an hour. 
Chip Ingram, in his book, Effective Parenting in a Defective World, said this, if a child can't learn to obey a parent who is visible, he'll never learn to obey a God who isn't. There are many kids who grow up and enter college and leave the faith. It's not because kids' ministries aren't teaching their kids. Friends, if you have perfect church attendance, we get 52 hours with your children every calendar year. If there's perfect church attendance and no snow days and sick days, 52 There are many kids who are leaving their faith after high school. It's not because the church is irrelevant. It's not because the word of God doesn't work. Can I be honest with you? It's because we as parents aren't handing them a compelling story of what it looks like to be a part of the family of God. I want to hand my kids a vision and a picture of what it looks like to belong to the family of God that is so compelling, so convicting, so consuming that when they get to freshman philosophy, there's not a professor on earth that could shake what they know to be true about who Jesus is and what it looks like to belong to a family of multi-generational discipleship experiment of mothers and fathers raising sons and daughters to become mothers and fathers who raise sons and daughters to give glory and honor to the king of kings. If your heart is sufficiently pricked right now, let me give you some practicals. Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 7 says this, and you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands. Pause. Not agree with. Not post on a refrigerator somewhere. Wholehearted agreement, commit yourselves to. This is a lived out gospel not a talked about gospel. The theology of our faith is not something that we just know God and know about God. No, what's the number two is that we practice these things in our lives, in our homes. You must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Repeat them again and again to your children. Repeat them again and again to your grandchildren. Repeat them again and again to yourself. Talk about them when you are at home, when you are on the road, when you are going to bed, and when you are getting up. What does that look like? That looks like morning time, drive time, meal time, and bedtime. Morning time as parents, grandparents. No matter what age your kid is, in the morning, that is the environment and the space where you can just encourage and be life-giving and speaking hope into your children's lives. You can encourage them well. Doesn't matter if they respond to you grumpily, still encourage them and speak life over them, be gracious with them, be kind to them. The morning time is the time where they need to be reminded that they're loved and they're affirmed by their parents who love them and they're affirmed by their God who loves them. Play worship music in the morning. It'll help. Morning time. You can be intentional. Here's what it looks like. Drive time. On the road, he says. No matter your, your kid's age, use drive time 
to connect with your kids and your teens to get to know what's going on in their life and what's important to them. Just let the conversations meander to be present in the moment. To, to sing songs together, just to be in that space. Mealtime. At mealtime, this is where you can be a little bit more structured. This is where you can talk about faith. This is where you can talk about the character of God. This is where you can talk about what they learned about in kids' church. This is where you can talk about a Bible verse that maybe is important to your family. This is where you can talk about the things that God spoke to you in your own time with the Lord and a scripture that's encouraged you. Mealtime. Talk about your faith and the character of God and the character of being in God's family. And at bedtime, this is where you pray for your elementary kids, your preteen, your middle schoolers, your high schooler. Bedtime is the moments where you look for a glimmer into their heart because they are willing to be the most intimate at bedtime. And oh, how bedtime I wish was faster. But often it meanders and they're talking and they're unearthing and they're just sharing their lives and then you get to bring it to a moment where you pray together. Just four moments. Be intentional with these four moments, parents opportunities to disciple and bring faith alive in your kid's life. You don't have to give them 17 points of the, the charismatic doctrine of the Trinity and theology of this and that. Like, blah, blah. Take your everyday, ordinary life working and pleasing and honoring God and use it as an opportunity to merge into these things. Now, these, these four things are not original to me. I didn't create, I didn't come up with these. This has been through years of working in kids' ministry and in youth ministry. There's a, a resource called parentq.org. Parentqcue.org. Every parent and grandparent ought to go visit that. And this is where they start talking about what does it look like? How do you use the cues from your kids and the cues of the day to intersect their life with a life of faith? Why? Because more is modeled than it is taught it's about being present in a moment and giving your life of discipleship because it's not a set of doctrines you're trying to give your kids it's a life of embodied faith that you're trying to demonstrate and live hear me with your kids it's a both and it's this this sense of cultivating these things every week here at faith church in our elementary and our early childhood age classrooms. Kids go home with these take-home sheets. On these take-home sheets are prompt questions you can ask your kid at mealtime about what they talked about in church. There's uh, devotionals or Bible reading plans for kids that are available for free on an app called YouVersion Bible app that you can do with your kids. Your kids can do on their own depending on their stage of development. These are resources that we as a church are utilizing from our curriculums to partner with you. You're not in this alone. We're in this partnership together to move and to raise a generation of, of, of children who have full allegiance to Jesus. To raise them into discipleship culture. If you have teenagers, have you done the fresh start pathway with your teenager yet? <laughs> Let me back it up. Have you <laughs> done the fresh start pathway that's available for you? To grow in the basic understanding of it will create conversation not only for you, but for your teen. This is something that we get to do. Why? Because we as a family, both physically and as a picture of faith in the family of God, 
get to help cultivate an allegiance to Jesus. Parents, you have probably created an allegiance in your kids in one way or another. You've created an awareness and acceptance of some things in their lives. You've already been discipling them. Some of your kids know the dangers of the toxins that are in chemicals and soaps and things in your home. You've taught them well about the, the, the toxins, but do they know about the toxic nature of the sin nature of selfishness that lives on the inside of them? Oh, we, we've, we've, talked, we've done a good job teaching our kids how to, how to manage the currency of their money, but we have not taught them about the currency of honor in the kingdom of God. We've talked to our kids and we've helped them develop an allegiance to the chief's kingdom. But have we helped them develop an allegiance to Christ's kingdom? Yes, it was cheesy and yes, it is true. I told you these four weeks, buckle up buttercup, we're getting into the real stuff. We're not here to pretend and play and behave like it. Or we can just sing a few songs and we'll all in the sweet by and by. No, no, no. There is an enemy for your soul. There's an enemy for your family's soul. There's someone coming for you. But greater is he who is in you than he that's in the world. And there is a kingdom that cannot, will not ever be shaken. And it's time to firmly root our feet in that family, in that kingdom, in the kingdom of God, the family of God. And it's time to steward those things well. The family is a picture of God's kingdom. Families steward children. And here's the last one. Families protect each other. Look at what he says in Matthew 18, starting in verse 10. Remember this whole chapter, the lens of a family. The importance of little children. What's little children? Little children who are young in the faith. People who need to grow in the way of God. This is what he says, in, starting in verse 10. Beware that you don't look down on any of these little ones. Those of you that have been around church for a long time, don't you dare start getting upset that people don't know what it looks like to follow God yet. Don't look down on them because they don't know the truth about, they don't know all the stories, they don't know all the things, they don't know what it looks like, they haven't had the experience, they don't know. Don't look down on them. I love that Faith Church is a space where people who have, who are unfamiliar with what it looks like to follow Jesus can show up and begin to learn what it looks like to follow Jesus and belong to the family of God. This is a safe environment for people to learn. Let me say it another way. This is a safe environment for people to experiment with what it looks like to follow Jesus. Beware that you don't look down on these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven their angels are always in the presence of my heavenly Father. And if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others on the hills and go to search for the one that is lost? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he will rejoice over it more than over the 99 that didn't wander away in the same way. It is, it, it, it is not my heavenly Father's will that even one of these little ones should perish. Is, God, is Jesus talking about little children? I, yes. But what's he really talking about? 
people who are young in their faith. He's not talking about people who have no concept of God, who are lost and sinners. They're not in the sheepfold. But those who are in the fold, who are young in their faith, who don't really know what it looks like to follow God, who are just trying to figure this stuff out, it is up to the families, the mothers and fathers, the shepherds in the fold to say, you know what, let me, let me protect you. Let me bring you along and help you learn. Let me show you what I know. Let me teach you what it looks like. You're sitting by yourself. Why don't you come sit by me on Sunday? Yeah, we'll, every Sunday we'll sit together and we'll worship together and we'll sing together. And if you have questions about what that guy in skinny jeans says, you can ask and we'll talk about it. I may not know the answer, but I'll find out what the answer is and we'll learn together. But come on along in the journey with me. Families protect each other. Friends, there is danger in separating from the fold. There is danger in separating from the flock. And we get to protect others who have kind of started to wander on their way and say, hey, come on back. Come on back into the fold. You don't, you don't need to be by yourself. You don't need to do this alone. Following Jesus isn't meant to be done in autonomy and in isolation on your own. There's danger in separation because when you start to separate, you forget that you belong. When you separate and sit in isolation long enough, you, you, forget to, you forget that the people of God are your home, that this is your family. It's not just some function of society, some thing that we do for like cultural bonus points. But we belong to a family. I do believe there's a difference between wandering and walking out. But he's talking about wandering. Those who've just been on the fringe, on the outside. Who are the people that you haven't seen in a while at church worshiping? As a family, we just reach out and be like, hey, how are you? What's going on in your world? How can I pray for you? What we don't do is look at them and be like, man, where have you been? In some passive aggressive way of trying to like convict them for I love the picture of the shepherd and those in the family just going out and be like, hey, you're wondering. Let me pick you up. Come on, we're going this way. Where are we going? We're going back to the fold. Come on, let's go. And they put them, they don't even give them an option. Like, come on, I'm taking you to lunch. We're going to go to church. We're going to sit together. You're going to get over the awkwardness. I know you haven't been here since COVID, but don't matter, don't care, don't, don't matter, know how, just show up and let's go. You belong to the family of God. And we get to be those that bring in, those who have wandered away. Friends, God is relentless in protecting us as his family. God is relentless in pursuing us. God is relentless in placing us, his kids, in a family for us to belong to. And we are a picture of God's kingdom. And we steward those young in the faith to grow in their faith. And we protect and bring in close those who've tried to wander and just kind of drift in life and we bring them back in because we are family. All my brothers, sisters, and me, we are family. Would you stand as we come to a moment of response? Would you just bow your heads? Take a couple deep breaths.
And just ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me today? Maybe some of you are in this room and you're just struggling. You feel a little bit dizzy and wandered. You know you need somebody to pray with you. Here in a minute, when we dismiss, you need to make your way to the prayer spot and let us pray with you. Let somebody pray over you. And like a good mother, father, just speak life and blessing over you. Some of you, the Lord's kind of prompting you to get more involved, serving, and being a part, participating as a family member. Maybe that's what God's speaking to you. Maybe some of you, it's just a matter of realizing that the kingdom of God is a family. It's not an individual sport on your own. And the Lord's stirring some things in your heart in that way. Lord, whatever it is that you're speaking to us, would you seal this moment? Help us not walk from this place the same, but walk out recognizing that we belong to your family. Reminding ourselves that we get to participate in your family as we steward those around us and we get to protect the family around us. Or maybe some of us need to reach out and text a friend and just find out how they're doing. Love on them, pray with them. Or would you help us to do that? Lord, today I speak blessing over your family. I pray, Lord, that you would bless them and you would keep them. I pray, Lord, you would make your face shine on them and be gracious to them. Would you lift your countenance towards them, God, and give them great peace today. We pray this in the name of the Father who loves us, the Son who died for us, demonstrating real love, and in the name of the Holy Spirit who abides with us always, we pray. And all of the family of God said, amen. Hey, hey friends and family, I hope today's message was life-giving for you. I want to ask you to take a next step and go ahead and click the subscribe button so you never miss another chance to have an encounter with God. And while you're at it, take another step and share it with a friend. Maybe post it on your social network or text a coworker the link. And when you do that, you are partnering and get to be a part of seeing faith come to life in them. Hey, if Faith Church has made an impact in your life, if these messages are helping you gain traction in your faith, would you consider partnering with us financially? When you do that, it helps us widen our reach so that more people can have an encounter with the real Jesus. You can find information and ways to give on our central hub, faithchurchks.org. If, you're, if you live in the Southeast Kansas region, we'd love to see it in person at one of our Sunday services. You can find those times on our hub as well, faithchurchks.org. Hey, remember this, God is for you and we love you.